Good morning, diners and travelers. You're listening to On the Menu with Ann and Peter Haig. And today we're going to take you for a little sail around the Mediterranean. And, and, Anne, and Anne's going to feel right at home. Right. Because because her ancestry is Sicilian, as you've heard on the program any number of times. And her island sits right in the high diddle diddle, right in the middle yes. of the Mediterranean. And, sur- and surrounded by a coastline which has commonality of the foods that are grown and the And then there's the issue of the Mediterranean diet, which is supposedly absolutely the the most outstanding, nutritious, best diet in the whole world. And and you can live to be a (laughs) hundred. Right. Always always assuming that that's something that you're interested in. But but anyway, let's 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 get to it with starting with Susie Theodorou, who who wrote a, a totally definitive book on the very subject that we're talking about. So. Susie Theodorou, <laughs> you you were born and raised in London um, to Greek Cypriot parents, and your book is entitled Mediterranean, Naturally Nutritious Recipes from the World's Healthiest Diet. And I'm telling you, I, I went through this book and I saw dish after dish um, that I was raised on because um, my background is Sicilian. But you have something fresh about it that I don't know what you did to these recipes. Well, they are recipes that I, a lot of them I grew up from, my mother cooking and my aunts and my grandmother on my maternal side. But I have to say, I went to Sicily two years ago and I was, I was so surprised at how similar to Cyprus it was. Yes. The, the people, the landscape, the, the castles, it was it was very very similar. Our languages are very different, but it was very interesting to see that comparison and how how similar they are. Well, no wonder I found your book very familiar. <laughs> and uh, the, the other thing is, you you are a food stylist, so everything in this book looks so good. <laughs> Maybe that also um, it, it elevates the interest I have in cook, making these dishes. Oh, good. That's that, that's really good. I mean, this book, I, my editors who approached me about it wanted it to be Mediterranean in mixture because so much does cross over between the Greeks and the Cypriots and the, and the Italians, the Spaniards, the Portuguese, and southern France. Um, but I felt like sometimes more of the rustic stuff that comes from Cyprus hasn't been tapped into quite as much, which crossed over into the Sicilian. I see. So that's it. I mean, growing up, I was I was so surprised that um, that we ate pasta as well. But my my grandmother made it very differently to how I now, as an adult, discovered the Italians have it. But with this, with the Sicilians, it's it's much rougher and a and a thicker texture, like the like the rustic Greek type of pasta we have. Yeah, well, I mean, Sicily was Magna Grecia, remember? <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah, you, you have, I thought it was kind of odd that there's this translation in the back for terms translated from British English to U.S. or American English. Oh, well, you see, I haven't seen that yet because I've only looked at the um, British um, versions and because the U.S. has only just come out right now. Uh-huh. But, um, but when I... But having lived here for a good 15 years or so, we definitely say things very differently. 
um, in our cooking terms as to the Americans. And also our measurements, we're very metric now, but oh, yeah. our pint is, is, um, is 600 meals as opposed to being 500 meals for right. the um, American pint. So all of that was things that I learned very fast when I first moved over here and started cooking. And a lot of the terms are, are different. Like I'm always telling people who work with me, oh, we need the cling film, but it's the plastic wrap or the kitchen paper, <laughs> the paper towels. And all these young people who are working with me, they get to know these British terms now. <laughs> well, maybe I'm not a good test since I spend half my time in England as well. So, <laughs> yeah, and, and live with an Englishman. So I guess that, yeah, I'm not a good test of this. But, oh, good. But tell me... Let's talk about, um, you, you devote the, the beginning and the introduction to your book about the, the health qualities and, and, uh, and also the, the full meaning of the Mediterranean diet, including eating together as a social um, extended family situation. Um, and the thing I didn't know is I didn't know that the word diet actually comes from a Greek word, meaning not like restricted rules or anything like that, but way of life, right? Yes, yes. No, that's important. That's very true. Well, the, the, no, I actually didn't write the um, the intro on um, on the nutrition and everything. This very good um, lady wrote it called, what's her name? I'm looking for her name again. Um, and we liaised a lot about it, and she, and she, you know, she asked me questions, and I came back to her. But obviously, she's a nutritionist and and a big fan of this kind of diet. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've only ever known the Mediterranean diet, even being raised in England. My parents always ate the Greek diet at home, which is Mediterranean, um, and we always ate. As a family, even though both my parents worked, they would always come home and we would eat as a family. And then at weekends, the bigger extended family, we would meet at different family houses, our ones. Again, my mother always had time to cook and make more time-consuming dishes, uh, which I think is really important. We always had olive oil. You know, my parents are really very healthy still and they eat that. I mean, it's not that they don't eat bad food that I call bad food. Like they will have a fried egg and and stuff like that, but but you don't routinely it. have the full English breakfast. <laughs> well, yeah, no, yeah. I mean, they are a little partial partial to bacon and um, and sausages and things. Oh, but thank, thank, thank goodness for that. Thank goodness for that. that mixture. Yeah. But but you, I said thank goodness for that. Yeah, big on yeah. sausages. <laughs> um, the, this pyramid, I thought the pyramid was very amusing. The food pyramid that you did with the Mediterranean diet in mind, because I've never seen such a huge block for olive oil in the food pyramid. Well, because they've also found that the olive oil helps break down fat and other ingredients in a much better way for our body to, I mean, I'm just sort of, you definitely have to read it in more detail, but it's it's like like you know I I did lots of research as well on olive oil, extra virgin olive oil, and when you get the good stuff, it's it's really good nutritionally, just the way it gets absorbed into our body, just the way it allows other um, nutrients to be broken down and be absorbed in our body. It really is quite important. 
I mean, I, again, I was raised on it. <laughs> so yeah. That's what I use. So um, how did you organize this book? I was trying to figure out what the structure was. Okay, so I, I am a lazy cook. I am. I, I do cook for myself all the time, but I will take shortcuts. So that whole thing about having good ingredients doesn't mean you always have to cook a, um, you know, a recipe with method, ingredients, finish, that kind of thing. So that first chapter, I really wanted to concentrate on the really good cheese that's out there that's also quite healthy, and it's goat's cheese, even though there's a lot of it produced by um, cow milk now. The feta, the mozzarella, the halloumi, that they're good for you, you know, but they don't have as much as um, the cholesterol and um, the bad fats in them. You know, our bodies can break down goat's milk way better than the cow milk. Um, And then the canned fish, they're all really good for you. And it's the way my parents eat where they'll have the beans that they cook from from, um, dried and there'll always be a little side protein as well. Uh, The way I eat is I love to have mackerel, sardines, any of those canned fish on a rice cake on, I'm only five foot two, so I try not to eat too much bread. Um, So I cut down on my carbs, but I'll always have a good protein. And all the the prosciuttos, those cured hams, they're really good put with a melon or something, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And you don't always have to eat three courses. Well, see, here's where you really hit the mark, I think is um, you can't just say Mediterranean diet and and let it go at that because people then think that, I mean, if they're not, you know, raised in the Mediterranean diet, they think, well, you just, you know, stuff your face with pasta, which is not the the case. I mean, Italians, um, Mediterranean folks in general kind of naturally limit their carbo intake. Yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And when I live in Italy, yes, we do eat pasta, but we don't have a whole plate of pasta to ourselves. Right. You order a pasta and you share it because then you're going to have some meat and then you might have a salad. It's the way they break their diets down. Yes. Or their menus down, really. And it's way more enjoyable to have, you know, two helpings of different pasta than to just indulge in one enormous bowl, personally. Right. You do something that's really interesting here. I'm looking at this this layout. So you have sweet peas and tarragon, heritage yes. tomato and oregano, courgette, zucchini, and mint, and escarole and chili flakes. Now, why why do you how do you determine the relationship between those four different dishes? The, the common denominator on those is the white cheese, right? Okay, yes. Whether you put it on top of feta, you put it on mozzarella, you put it on um, halloumi cheese, any of those that you, or burrata, any of those you choose. And depending on the season, you know, escarole is way more of a autumn or fall in, um, ingredient. The sweet peas are, I mean, the sugar snaps and peas are in the spring. So that was what my thinking was when I put all those toppings and chose them. It was to remain seasonal. And because I find when I go to Italy and Cyprus and Greece that the ingredients are seasonal all the time. Oh, yes. Yeah. 
So uh, the, when you carry that kind of a, a viewpoint throughout the, the book, I mean, you, you then go into grains that are good, and you analyze yeah. a whole bunch of recipes and with different grains. First, you explain the grains, and I'm glad to see you included Frika in there. It's my favorite thing. Good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you really emphasize the importance of, of healthy grains, which again takes us back to this carb issue, doesn't it? Yes. Well, 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 you're also dealing yes. with gluten, with gluten too. Yeah, the dreaded gluten. Yes. Well, there's a whole load of many nutritional issues that people have. It's really hard to cover it all under one book. But with grains, I try to feature the ones that are most nutritious. However, grains are high in carbs, so you do have to. If you're a diabetic, you have to watch the amount that you're going to take. That's for sure. So, but then. I wasn't writing for, for a diabetic person, so, th- th- you know, their considerations are very different. Uh-huh. Um, but we forget that grains are high in carbs. You do have to watch what you're about to eat, um, be it a good grain or a white flour bread, you know? Right. Well, um, you, you have some interesting twists, is what I was starting to say at the beginning of the oh, interview. Sorry. No, I mean, I, I, I never carried the idea through that even though these are in, at some level very familiar dishes to me, you also um, do little twists like you have a classic paella with frica. Now that sounds fabulous. Right. It was delicious. It really was nice. Um, so I know I'm just trying to find ways to introduce other grains, you know, and I constantly work for magazines as a food stylist and other cooks other book, food book authors and, and and it's interesting to say see how we all combine things and, and and it keeps me on top of different flavors and things especially the food magazines I work on so and I eat out all the time I work a lot in California so it's very interesting to see the healthy note that Californian chefs put on their food yeah, it's very interesting it's very diff- different East Coast and West Coast Food and drink is yes. very different, you know. It is, but what I find, um, I also, working in California a lot, um, I work with Goop, for instance, and I see their twists, the way they substitute um, ingredients to have lesser carbs or less of this or less of that. And it's very interesting. They'll make a taco using a celeriac or a sweet potato um, base as their wrapper. Um so, and this, I wouldn't have found this out in England had I not been working more in California as well. Well, that's interesting there, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, there's certainly, the food has changed in England. I mean, so many chefs experimenting with traditional cuisines there. Oh, yes. It's, re- it's really good. When I first started out, like 25 years ago, we were a little hard-pushed with... Um, um, you know, more experimental flavors and everything. It was still the steak and kidney pudding and all these very traditional dishes. Um, but I think, you know, Australian chefs were brought into the UK. They showed how to cook much lighter in flavors with salads and things, which was really good, I think, for our cuisine. And then, of course, we had the fabulous Jamie Oliver, who <laughs> really, really helped us. <laughs> Poor Jamie's having a hard time right now, isn't he? Well, there, there, there are also some signally important people like Philip Howard from The Square, 
yeah. who, who who trained essentially two two generations of young chefs went through the, went through their kitchens. Right. Well, yes, true, and you know we have Julia Smith who was really good, but personally, for me, I think Jamie had like a very big influence once he came out and was cooking, and you know he definitely sort of appealed to the masses because he was a working class boy who loved cooking, was very honest in his approach. And I thought that was a really good thing. And I think it really made the cooking shows way, way more approachable. Right. And you, you saw a picture of me with Jamie on our website. Yes, I did see that, which is really good. <laughs> yeah, that I was did. cute. And, yeah. you know, and the ladies from the River Cafe, you know, they really helped as well because so many chefs have gone through those ladies. Oh, yes, now. yes, and absolutely. And Kings in New York, which those three um, chefs, and um, came, you know, have opened that lovely restaurant, which is super delicious now. Right. Um, what What are some of the things that became really big issues in your mind about this book? What did you really want to get across? Um, I wanted to get across that you don't have to be a major cook to be able to cook from the book. You don't have to have a lot of ingredients to cook these recipes. Um, one of my favorite recipes in the book is the fava bean stew, which is the dried fava beans, a Swiss chard, and and that's it. it was, and water. And my mother's always made that, and it's my favorite dish. And all my friends who try it, they're always like, "Oh, I've got to get these, I've got to get these fava beans," and we buy them from local Turkish shops in London or whatever the ethnic background is. It can be Lebanese as well; they sell them. The other thing was. You know, to I'm just trying to think that to enjoy your food and get to know your flavors a little bit. Uh-huh. Now, did, have you come across the our favorite bean man? No, from, I was just going to ask that. Uh-huh. Peter and I have been married a long time. We think alike. <laughs> yeah, and every, every now and then I actually get to say something. <laughs> I, I, the name of the company is Rancho Gordo. Do you know him? Um, no, say that name again. Rancho Gordo, G-O-R-D-O. His, fir- his first um, name is Steve. Yeah, they have a whole bunch, a whole range of dried beans that they Yes, sell? yeah, he has yeah. like, he has yeah. like a, he has like a, nice se- illustration on it. he has like a seed bank he, of, of yeah. beans. So, I was just in Atlanta last week, and we were in this very nice, um, food shop called Star Provisions, and those beans were there, and I see them everywhere all the time, and I was talking with my assistant, and I said, these guys have done such a good job. They're everywhere in all really good food stores, you know, ingredient stores. Uh-huh. It's really good to see. Oh, the, quali- the quality is just amazing. Well, he, he views that as the ultimate American food. The, the right, beans. right, exactly. Because so, ma- so many of the bean varieties are actually native to this continent, so you, do, you couldn't have baked beans in the Middle Ages. <laughs> oh, right, okay. <laughs> Yeah, they hadn't been discovered yet. Well, yeah, well, no, and um, when I was writing the book, I was in L.A., and, of course, all the black-eyed peas were uh-huh. there um, fresh. So, you know, I cooked them fresh, and I cooked them dried, and I saw the difference. And they're just as delicious both ways. I mean, ideally, I would love them fresh, but seasonally we can't have that. But it was interesting to see that whatever I was getting in Europe, I can very easily buy over here, whether in a farmer's market or dried in the supermarket. 
Yeah, we, avoid we, avoid trying to deal with fresh chickpeas. However, it, <laughs> it would drive you mad. <laughs> trying to clean I know. Them. <laughs> you tried. Yes. Yeah, okay, that would be quite hard to like pod them the whole time. But uh, you know, I grew up where my mother would soak the chickpeas. Then she would take every skin off those chickpeas before she cooked them. Mm-hmm. Now here, here's the so, here's, here's the right answer, Susie. Go to. Go to Whole Food Markets. They have them freeze-dried. <laughs> yes, I know. They do. They do. Um, but, you know, it's just... It's, I mean, I grew up where my mom and her sisters and my grandmother, they didn't care about time when it came to cooking. They put all the effort into it. I don't have that time to put the effort into right. it. So I just wanted to show that you can't have all that food without limited time as well. Susie, I'm looking at a recipe that we have probably every other week, which is so simple. Pan-seared prawns with lemon and garlic. That we have that rabbit all the time. We do. Yeah. We, we have it, we have it when they're on, when shrimp are on special at Whole Food Market. <laughs> yeah. So tell me again, which one is it with the lemon and garlic? The pan-seared prawns with lemon and garlic. Oh yes, okay, yeah. Very simple, very easy. And you make it with the uh, shell on, which is nice because the, the shrimps stay nice and moist and they don't get tough. I know, and they're, and they're so sweet. Oh, yes. Well, I think that many people are going to explore, even just for your artichoke recipes. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, artichokes are one of my favorites. Me too, me too. Well, look at California. You're right in the middle of, of everything there, too, right? Yeah. With the artichokes. No, you, you, Castro, no, no, he, oh, here, I know exactly what you're going to say. Yeah, he, he, well, he, this, this is one everybody everybody needs to know this. There was a famous blonde film actress whose first note for fame was as Miss Artichoke, California. <laughs> Can you guess? And the, and the answer is Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> oh yes, of course. I could guess that. You could guess that. There you go. See, I, get, yeah. I gave it. I gave it away this time. You, you, <laughs> you didn't give me enough time. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, the clock. The clock is ticking, and we, and we and we know we all have things we must do. So, thank you so much for joining us with this for this conversation. Um, maybe our paths will cross sometime in California. Sometime. Yes, that would be really nice. Thank you, Sometime. both of you, for um, taking an interest in the book. Oh, it's lovely book. It's like it's. I mean, the, the recipes themselves are just fascinating. I, I could hardly wait to dig into some of them. And let's let's not forget the first part of the book. I mean, the first part. You really have two books. I mean, I, I think it's really good the way the nutrition is so well explained. Yes. yes. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought that was brilliant. Quite brilliant. Yeah. And and artful the the styling and the who did the ph- photography? Oh yeah, so um, a very good friend of mine who I've been working with for about twenty years now, John Koenig. Um, he's based here in New York. He's a Brit, but he's been here since his very early twenties, and he shot it. He um, I didn't have time to go around the Mediterranean with him, but I gave him all my ideas of my memories of having of where I've gone throughout my life and the Mediterranean. And off he went on his bike and took lots of snaps mm. of the fig groves, the olive groves. 
and got all those beautiful pictures for us. And then our other really good friend, Erica Oliveira, who is a creative director and was over on Gourmet when Gourmet would go in, she designed it, which was such a joy to work with both of them and my assistant as well, um, Gary. We had a really good time cooking Mediterranean food in Brooklyn. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, listeners, it's again, it's Susie Theodore Mediterranean. And it's filled with doable, accessible, healthful recipes and delicious. Thank you, Susie, for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you. Bye. Bye. And after the break, we're going to talk about with some people who can supply you with some of those wonderful raw ingredients that are a necessary part of the Mediterranean diets. So don't go away because we'll be right back. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Next up is Lucy Sheehan, um, a name that doesn't sound terribly Mediterranean, but Lucy is um, an olive oil expert, and she is the U.S. ambassador for a, a olive oil, the, uh, the company's Oleoficio Zuki, and it has won outstanding um, sustainability awards, and she's going to talk to us about olive oil, the products, and also trends and issues in the industry. You know, we're going to be talking to Lucy Sheehan um, about olive oil, and the subject itself is the world of olive oil has changed so dramatically, Lucy. You're going to be talking to us about the Oleoficio Zuki, which is, um, you're an ambassador for that product, although you represent a number of other uh, companies as well, but and olive oil happens to be one of your specialties. Uh, well, tell us again, how did you become an expert in olive oil? You're an American. You're probably even from the West, right? I am. I, I live in Boulder, Colorado, but I'm a Northeasterner. I'm a transplant. Oh, okay. Um, what I, I would say is, you know, when you're in an agricultural state, you look at things a little bit differently. Um, I'm a Bostonian originally, and... Not a lot of agriculture there. (laughs) (laughs) But a lot of knowledge about great products and um, an appreciation, um, certainly of olive oil in the Northeast. You know, there are many, many more people than in other parts of the country use olive oil on a regular basis. But there's, there's really a lack of general knowledge about the quality and the, the components, you know, what makes a great olive oil. Um, I, I actually think that it's very um, comparable to the, the story of um, California wines entering the wine market oh, yes. in the 70s. <laughs> and th- there are many parallels to understanding um, how uh, the consumer learns and, and embraces something new that they, uh, you know, through discovery that they couldn't even imagine. So um, I stumbled on olive oil about uh, 10 years ago. I had an opportunity to work with California Olive Ranch for a couple of years to help them increase their um, 
uh, awareness in the U.S. market, and they taught me a lot. Um, and then since then, have had other experiences that have taught me about uh, oils from Spain, from Tunisia, from Italy, Greece, um, even South American and Australian yeah. olive oils. It's so, whole, uh, Israeli is the one that got me. I had no idea that they were olive oil producing in Israel. <laughs> Did you? There are uh, many, many countries producing. Yeah. Um, the, but the, ex, the real expertise and kind of the heart of olive oil is truly Italy, where you know over 500 cultivars are grown out of about 700 in the world. And the Spanish would would uh, probably uh, take issue with that since it's the largest uh, olive grower in the whole world. <laughs> yeah, so the largest producer. That yeah. that's absolutely true. Yeah. Um, they have, you know, big, you know, large farms, big acreage, mass production. Um, I guess I'm talking about that artisanal approach. What what brings uh, the creativity to the category? You think about what makes um, a great wine from a region, uh, you know, how do you blend something creatively to create something beautiful? And um, truly that that intelligence rests in Italy far more than any other country in the world. Well, tell us about the, the Zuki. It's a family-run business in which generation now? Yes, um, Zuki's been around for over 200 years. 1810, uh, the, I think, right? Correct. Yeah. Uh, the the sixth generation of Zuki's, um, Alessia and Giovanni, uh, took over the business a um, little over five years ago from their dad, and his instruction to them was that each of them would run the company, um, and Giovanni ran the company the first five years, and Alessia is in her second year now running the company. And um, then they bring different um, skills and approaches to the business that I think um, are really helping to transform the company and certainly enable them to enter the U.S. market for the first time. Yes, and that's how we—that's where we caught up. Um, that the I—I I heard, I learned about um, the Zuki. Winning the sustainability award uh, through the Specialty Food Association, and um, and and I had not been aware of the brand, and I found it. You said samples, and I found it to be extraordinarily high quality, extraordinary high quality olive oil, um, and I guess it was a boon to have it also be a sustainably produced product, right? Yes, and and this is this really goes to the heart of um, Giovanni and Alessia's vision for the the Zuki name on the brand. They do business, you know, in over fifty countries around the world, but really putting together a, a premium quality brand at you know a, a, an everyday price, you know, affordable price. Um, so it may not be the least expensive one on the shelf, but um, it, it's not also going to be the most expensive. And um, so there, there are kind of uh, several pillars um, of what they wanted to do with the brand. And the first was to look at what their skill set was. Um, Giovanni studied blending of olive oils, you know, just like a Merlot is blended from different grapes. Olive oils are blended as well, some with better oils and, and inferior oils. In their case, they look at it as a true art form, blending distinct cultivars of olives 
and creating a unique and exceptional flavor. So that, that commitment to quality was really the first pillar of what they wanted to accomplish. So he uh-huh. became tra- he became trained as a uh, a blend master, and they have a staff of very energetic young men and women who are blend masters who literally understand everything from the farm and the cultivars that are selected to the actual blending and and selection of um, olives to create the best um, olive oil blends for the consumer. Yeah, hold, the, hold, the, on, hold so, on just a second. Here. Sure. I wanted I wanted to inject a question, which I'm sure is already is already in our listeners' minds, and and that is the book called "Olives Olive Oil Doesn't Grow on Trees." Yes. Now that 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 says, says something about this blending that you were just talking about. Correct. And uh, Giovanni wrote that book to help explain to um, consumers not only in Italy but also to the U.S. a little bit more about what that art form is, but also to give them some additional knowledge about olives and olive oil and and the creation of uh, beautiful oils. He felt that there was um, basic knowledge that most people didn't have, so that's why he wrote the book. And um, we, we mentioned it on our website, and I'm sure if you have listeners that are interested in um, uh, obtaining a copy, they can they can send an email and uh, see what we can do for them. Um, it, it's not on Amazon yet, but we're <laughs> we hope sometime soon. So, um, but yeah, we're, it, it's uh, one of the things that we have um, in our communication to retailers to help them understand more about the category. Um, we've helped communicate that with Giovanni's book and that the the, the um, Response has been really positive, um, particularly when you have a new category manager buying olive oil, and and he or she says, "I, I had no idea. I'm learning so much about this category, and it's really wonderful and it's, it's exciting." Now, is um, it is it all is it all grown on the Zuki family's estate, or do they deal with a cooperative? How how do they how do they get their oils? So so most um, most olive oil producers. Uh, the, the larger ones, and Zuki is the largest family-owned producer in Italy, don't necessarily get into the farming. What they do is select farms they want to work with. And their oils are um, selected from farms in uh, Italy, Greece, and Spain. And they are the, the actual producer. So they bring, they bring the product in. So it goes from the farm to the mill where it's processed, and then comes to Zuki for the final blending and creation of the final product. So um, we think about the small farms, small producers, and, and, and some of them may have, you know, 20 acres and others may have hundreds, like in Spain. Um, but they take a, a very artisanal approach in finding terrific um creators of that original uh, olive and growing that olive, that's that expertise. And that's why I talk about a blend master. It's really understanding farm right into the production and the right mills, everything in the process. What's interesting, when you mentioned sustainability, this really speaks to the heart of um, creating sustainable products because um, Zuki, a lot of people think, well, you know, if we produce it, then, you know, it's sustainable. Well, many products, that may be true in the factory where a product is produced, but not necessarily in all the ingredients that go into it. In this case, every farm that Zuki works with 
every mill that Suki works with has to be certified sustainable based on the qualities and characteristics required for the certification that they get in Italy from CSQA. They're a third-party recognized food certification company, uh, highly regarded by the government and by producers in many food categories. This is the first time in the olive oil category that sustainability has been examined in this way. And interestingly, it took Zuki several years to get to this point where they were able to launch this product. And what so, goes into that board? I mean, what are the specific features that, that earn you a, a recognition as for being sustainable in this industry? It, it's, it's a huge accomplishment because yeah, I mean, no, no one else is looking at it. What do you mean nobody else is looking nobody, at it? I mean, nobody else is going to the effort. I mean, this is a considerable effort. No, and, and what what uh, factors into oh, whether sure. you're... The, yeah. So, so there, there are a number of things. Um, so fair wages and uh, fair trade, uh, which are, you know, pillars of sustainability. Um, so, so that uh, the, the worker on the farm as well as in the plant or at the mill um, are, are paid a fair wage. That's an important component that's evaluated twice a year. Um, health factors. Now, in the U.S., we don't, um, we, we can't make health claims on, um, in the olive oil category other than that it's heart healthy, you know, um, it's a, um, it's a good fat. Um, but, um, in Europe, they can measure these things and communicate them. So polyphenols are considered kind of that, that magic health ingredient mm-hmm. in an olive oil. And the, the, the quality of the olive oil produced is measured not just from when it's bottled, but at the end of the life cycle of that produced bottle. So, yeah. so there's a minimum requirement that they have to reach during that entire life cycle and that again, that's measured um, twice a year, and there's you know this checking of all of this. So, I mean, I, I'm very comfortable with this. Now, if you go to um, a, a small farm and you're you're buying something artisanally, um, and they can make the claim about fo- polyphenols because they know that product um, very well. You're going to pay a little bit more for that. It's a wonderful health benefit for it, but but the reality is it's hard to find and it costs more. So in this case, you've got, you know, kind of a, a moderately priced brand that you can feel assured that you're getting, you know, a solid health benefit in the bottle. Um, there, uh, one of the other important components of this, and this is another pillar of what the Zuki family stands for, but it's a requirement for um, the sustainable certification, is traceability. Right. And That's, this yeah. is extremely exciting. Um, so, so the Zuki, the, the, all of the, the proof for the consumer who says, you know, show me, you know, I want to know more about this. Uh, they can um, scan the QR code on the bottle or go to uh, the Zuki website and see the country of origin, the region, the province, and the cultivar of each olive cultivar used in the different blends of Zuki um, olive oil. Yeah, it's and amazing then, what's going on. I mean, we have a, 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 a lamb grower um, who is doing this with his lamb products, purebred lamb. We have um, 
the, the course, we've been getting into this with fish, just fish. Uh, and, and that leads me to another question is like, um, I think that the olive oil industry is having a kind of a rough time in the face of all the uh, fraudulence they've discovered in the industry itself. And you pointed out when we were discussing it beforehand that a lot of the, um, Oh, so-called iconic brands that people have been buying for years aren't even Italian anymore, right? That's correct. That's correct. So, I, I mean, a Chinese olive oil make the Chinese are making which Bertoli? Which one are they? Filippo uh, Barrio. Barrio. I mean, geez, yeah. we used that for years. Um, yeah. And and with and with good reason, you know, the consumers trusted that. Of, of, um, of, the heritage of a family name <laughs> that they knew from Italy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this happens with all kinds of brands and in other categories, too. There are changes as, you know, it's a world economy. Um, but the Zuki family and their commitment of each generation has, you know, every generation's brought some improvement to how they do business, and they're very highly regarded. They've established themselves as um, the market leader in Italy, um, uh, because of their history and their innovation, and that they're taking it to the next step, they're saying to, you know, to the shopper, to the consumer, we want you to be able to trust our oil. We make delicious oils, and we're committed to that. In fact, the family, you know, has had all the training and understanding. We're not just turning it over to um, other people to figure out. We're actively involved in that. They've invested in. Uh, their plant, their operation, and I have to tell you, you, you go through their factory, it's pristine. You can eat off the floors. Um, they have the, the, the largest um, temperature-controlled storage facility uh, for tanks for the olive yeah, oil. Yeah, I read about that, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, in, in Italy. So they are investing in continuing that quality story. Um, the challenge here, of course, in the U.S. is making sure we're able to tell more people, and then they can um, experience it. And now, how so do the, people get it now? I mean, you you debuted it at the Fancy Food Show, which was um, in July. Yeah, in uh, June, early July. And so, how do people get it now on the website? Uh, no, not on the website. Um, it's at retailers, and we're expanding our distribution as we speak. Um, so uh, we're primarily in northeastern accounts, so Fairway in New York City and, and uh, Connecticut, New Jersey area. Uh, we're in Shaw's and Hannaford in New England. We're going into some new accounts soon. We're in HEB in Texas. We're in some independent stores. Uh, we have a large national distributor that is um, working with us to expand to their retailers across the country, um, and until it's on the shelf, I can't speak about it, but mm-hmm. that'll give you a little bit of an idea of where, and I'm pretty busy going out and talking about the the different items we have. We also sell USDA-certified organic, um, extra virgin olive oil. Uh, organic is recognized as a standard in the U.S., and we have a delicious blend um, of uh, now, and it's different from our sustainable heritage blend, um, but both of them are with olives from Italy, Greece, and Spain. And then we have a 100% Italiano blend, which takes kind of the best of Italy. And each of the three items that we are selling in the U.S. market were designed for our market. 
so um, you know, wh- what is wh- what do we appreciate here? What what uh, are most consumers going to enjoy? Uh, what I you know I love about the organic is I love it on vegetables. I love it on fish. Um, Heritage, which is now up for an award at um, at um, the Natural Products Show right, for trace, right. yeah, for traceability and sustainability, um, we're a finalist for that. Um, I love just its all-purpose nature. It's great for salad dressings. It's great for general cooking. The Italiano drizzle on a steak. I love it in See, more one, robust dishes. Each you know? one has different profile. And flavor-wise and characteristics, and so you have to not only just pick your brand; <laughs> you've got to pick out what you're going to use it for, right? Well, I think, but that's true. With we we pair wines with a meal, we need to understand how to pair olive oils with what we're cooking to create something special. And I think, you know, many many consumers say, "Well, I just pick anything," and they treat it almost like it's canola oil they don't understand it's the fruit of olives and um you know just as you you cook with different apples when you make a pie versus you know something else but eating apple um the same is true with olives and and creating olive oil um and what it does to uh, create a wonderful experience when you're making a caprese salad and you're drizzling a wonderful olive oil on top you make that salad come alive as opposed to something without a whole lot of flavor. You, so you, you sold, you they sold, are special flavors. You sold, you sold me, Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> me too, Lucy. I, I'm, I think they're very lucky. The, 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 the Zuki family are very lucky, is very lucky to have you as an ambassador because you're doing a great job. And thank you. Thank oh, you. Thank you. Thank oh, you. I'm, I'm pretty passionate about this. It's very easy to be excited about this brand. And um, we don't often have, you know, uh, it, 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 it isn't often that you have legitimately great news to celebrate and in a category that really could benefit from telling a great story that consumers can trust. Um, they've looked for that from, from Italy, and they, you know, I, uh, I think there's good reason uh, for concern because some olive oils aren't so great. They turn up you know, not to be a good experience. And so that creates distrust. And um, so I feel very, you know, happy to represent and to talk about their story. Well, well it's keep, a real keep, deal. Yeah, keep up keep up the great work. It's a real Thank deal. You. Remember, listeners, it's Zuki, Z-U-C-C-H-I. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Next up, we're going to be talking to David Yord about his company, Philosophy Foods, um, it, it took a long time for me to get catch up with him. He's one busy man, um, but let me tell you, I would love to have order uh, to order one of everything in his whole catalog. Um, I think we're going to be talking mainly about uh, the company's history and its Spanish products today. Listen right. to David Yord. Yeah, I think David Yord is an old friend of mine, but I'm not really sure, and he can't remember either. 
we're, we're going to be talking to him about a company called Philosophy Foods, which um, is a complicated structure at this point because it's sort of just transitioned from one thing to another. Um, the products, I will start by saying, are wonderful, but we'll talk about those in, in individually in a minute. But, um, David, tell us, um, you and your wife are partners in this business, Philosophy Foods. And Correct. how long have you run run the company? And why don't I just let you loose and you explain the structure of what actually Philosophy Foods does? Sure. <laughs> and unfortunately, I'll have to give you the, the long version so you understand because, as you said, it's complicated. it is complicated. <laughs> um, Carrie and I had an import and distribution company in Chicago for... Um, 17 that's years. It. Right, okay, that's it. You're the person <laughs> I talk to, you know. <laughs> that's right. And 60 years ago, we um, we sold the company to a larger seafood company uh, with the intent of, of working there and actually having a paycheck and um, easier jobs. Um, however, when we did sell and we did move to the new arrangement, we only lasted about 10 months. Oh, wow. uh, <laughs> more, you know, a lot of reasons, many of them cliche as entrepreneurs start to work for somebody else, but I, am, I, I probably wasn't as great of an employee as I could have been. So um, we left. And uh, for the first time in our lives, we had nothing to do um, and didn't know our next step. So um, we took some time and, and came up with a plan. Um, and what we ended up doing was approaching two of our previous um, vendors from Spain. One, his name is Omed, who does uh, extra virgin olive oil and vinegars. And the other was Losada, who does some unbelievable Spanish table olives. Yes, they're fabulous. <laughs> yeah. So um, we came to them with some, you know, elaborate idea of, of creating an import company as uh, as a partnership or almost a cooperative and to market across the country because we had done very well with these products in Chicago, but they hadn't really spread out through the rest of the states. Um, and we negotiated for them with them for a while, and, and that um, idea was just a little bit too elaborate for them for the time being. So we kind of situated and, and said, okay, we'll just work for you and sell your products for a commission in the States and we'll see how it goes for a, a year or two. Um, and then we'll work towards this grander idea. So that, um, which would... Go ahead, sorry. No, go ahead. Is that, so, okay. Go ahead, move on. <laughs> sure. Um, we did that for three years and we got to the point that we needed to be and... We became the biggest importer for uh, both of those brands in the world, which is a little bit grander statement than it actually is. <laughs> but <laughs> um, at the end, we couldn't really uh, we couldn't really agree to all the fine details of of a cooperative or a partnership. So um, what we ended up doing was transforming the company into a more um, Traditional import company that import that that markets directly to distributors across the country and trying to expand the brand throughout the country. 
So in other words, I mean, I get emails telling me about the latest products in Regalis. Right. right. Now, I mean, I'm, I'm an individual person. I'm, right. So I cannot actually order things from Regalis, like that wonderful well, uni and stuff. I'll have to explain our relationship with Regalis as well, which makes it even more complicated. <laughs> um, Regalis is a, a truffle, caviar, and mushroom um, company, which um, sells to Michelin-inspired restaurants in the in New York, and we also have warehouse in Dallas and in Chicago. Um, while we were starting Philosophy, Ian, my partner in Regalis, was... Um, distributing our products for us in New York. And at the same time, he was having issues with um, his partner at the time. So uh, we ended up, Carrie and I, buying 50% of Regalis. Okay. Um, so for a while, we were um, running the two companies completely separately, um, part-time each. And uh, at the beginning of this year, we ended up putting all um, the company, merging the two companies. Even though we operate philosophy separately from Regalis, um, it is it is under the same parent umbrella. So if you can follow that, you're you're better. Than I'm, I'm still confused. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I mean, I don't even know how I got on the Regalis um, mailing list. Oh, probably my wife put it put you on our mail chimp. Oh, this was a long time. I mean, I've been getting this oh, for okay. a long time. Okay. And it's great stuff. I always wanted to have some, but, you know, but I didn't yeah. know how you go about getting it. Well, you can actually, we do have an e-commerce uh, portion of our site. It's definitely not our focus. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't put all of our products on there. So generally what happens, somebody gets interested in one of the products on our e-commerce portion and they contact us, um, you know, they'll see on our Instagram or something, and they'll contact us, how do we get that? And we do uh, ship to the public. Okay. Um, but it is, you know, on the regalis and the products are, are really esoteric and really usually expensive and perishable. They are, uh, yes. It takes, a lot of <laughs> it takes a lot of communication to make sure... Um, somebody gets what they need or, or they expect um, because our main focus is wholesale and, and food service. Okay. Um, now, uh, it, we have listeners that also have um, are also food service, also uh, restaurants, also chefs. So what is the, the basic a- approach to your uh, ordering website? Is there a URL people should go on? Sure. We uh, there's regalisfoods.com um, for any restaurant who wants to order product directly. Um, we we there's it shows you to uh, email called info at regalisfoods.com. Okay. Um, and we've got a great group of guys here who who field all those um, inquiries and respond right away um, and and really work with you to get you what what you need whether you're and consumer or or a restaurant in New York or even uh, we ship across the country as well to restaurants. So okay. um, it's pretty well covered. On the, on the heavier items like 
the olives and the olive oil, we tend to work more with distributors in different regions because those products are very heavy to ship and often fragile because they're packed in glass. Right. Well, and, and, and am I going to muddy the waters if I ask you what seafoods.com is? <laughs> ah, no, that's just a, it's a customer of ours. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, they, they, yeah, they do, um, we, they, uh, we have some products that they they sell to their customers. Uh, it's more like a distributor of ours. Well, I mean, I, I think we're going to just direct everybody through the philosophy website, and and, and somehow we'll get a hold of you. So yeah, get, the best <laughs> would be just do the Regalis website, be regalisfoods.com. Oh, that one's better. Regalis that way we foods. can, yeah, we can cover all bases in that in that way. Okay, I'm going to make a note of that so we know Regalis Foods plural. That's correct. Dot com. Now, let's move on and give our listeners a um, some sort of a, the highlights of the kind of, of companies products that you're offering. Sure. I mean, you, you mentioned the um, OMED, which is very high end. That's right. So we really work primarily and exclusively with small. Um, producers that, that are on the very artisan end. Um, we make differentiations within specialty foods, and, and, you know, our differentiation would be marketed towards Michelin-starred restaurants and fancy cheese shops rather than big box stores or, you know, chains or, or anything like that. So it's pretty niche what we do. Um, however, not all the products, doesn't mean that all the products are out of the price range. It's just that, um, you know, the selections that we've made, we really feel are differentiated in some way, um, sustainable production, um, and really speak to like a discerning palate, uh, who, who's looking for something a little bit more unique on the menu and, and tells a story and has the exact flavor profile that they're looking for. Yeah, well, we're so in love. The, we're in love with the bocarones in the entrees. Yeah, that, that's a that's a, another small producer out of San Sebastian, Bahia de la Cancha. Yes, yeah, um, and those um, to us, those are the best in the world. They're um, fabulous, and, absolutely fabulous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's all they do. That's all they concentrate on. Are those two things? Oh well, we're doing. Yep. Yeah, we're just in San Sebastian. When was it? Seems June. June, yeah. So I mean, you can't go wrong. But San, I, yeah, I love it. Yeah, uh, they're, they're when we were sorry, when we were there, we we found another producer who uh, a single farmer. Uh, I don't know if you ever um, tasted the piparas or gandia peppers that are pickled, um, which they're prevalent in the marketplace. But we found one who's doing uh, an organic production. Which um, one is great that it's organic, but the differentiation was they're using um, an organic vinegar, and the normal vinegar that these that the producers use have a decolorant in it that makes it bitter. So oh. just that little bit differentiation of the vinegar that they're using in the curing made the peppers more sweet than the ones that we knew, and that's kind of what we need ourselves for um, to be able to bring a product in and get behind it. Um, so, 
I'm just trying to give you an idea of how we source a little bit. Yeah, I was, you've got some sea, you've got some sea urchin in there somewhere. Yeah, too, I was just right? looking at this yeah. Uni Conservus. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's uh, so that's a different producer out of Galicia, Spain. Um, I'm sure you guys are familiar with the 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 history and tradition of canning very fresh seafood um, in Spain, and Galicia is kind of the epicenter of that. Um, and oh, yeah, you can't on the very it. high end, <laughs> they took uni and 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 canned it, and you know it cost us like thirty dollars a tray. <laughs> really? So, or a tin. So yeah, it's uh, it's not cheap for sure. Well, you know, I imagine that it's it's very complicated for you to source these things. Um, I mean, I've I've interviewed um, the, the Gustiana people. Yeah, and they, great yeah, they spend a lot of time uh, over there. You know, talking to all these you know, artisanal producers and so forth. Yeah. Um, but they're a couple of them. How do you do it? Do you go and sort through references or people talking? We do, however, you know, we've been in the industry for quite a long time and just as anything else, um, things are often relationship driven. Uh-huh. So, we're getting introductions to products all the time. We also, you know, are plugged in with, through our customers in really, um, um, high-end dining, so we also get requests of things, or we notice things that are very trendy at the moment, or, or chefs at the very front end of the stick are, are looking for. Mm-hmm. So we know how to keep our eyes open, yes. but then often we know who to ask to look for something, and we'll get introductions, um, or things will just come to us, and it's up to us to know, uh, to have that sometimes gut feeling, but also, um, you know, to know what's going to work and what's not going to work. And it's not always winners. Yeah, no, exactly. Fortunately. I know. We, <laughs> we, we interviewed quite a lot of uh, producers, and no. there are <laughs> as many losers as winners. <laughs> but, <laughs> That's very true. But, but any number of chefs have told us when we asked them, how, how do you source the products that you put on your menu? And, yeah. and, and, the, and the answer is people find us. We, we don't, have, we don't have to go. We don't have to go find them. It's true. Uh, they, and it's they, more they about... It's more about... Go ahead. It, sorry, it's more about being in the right place at the right time. And so we do... Um, you know, we visit... The, luckily, Spain often takes us on, on trade shows and pays for us to go to Spain, but then we'll also add on to that time and go outside of the trade shows throughout the country and, and um, actually visit the farms and producers where things are being made. And always one thing leads to another, so... Yeah. Again, it's really being having some experience and, and networking as much as possible. Now, um, you, you're exclusively Spanish products? No. Um, just from my old company, I have, um, we had a lot of connections from Spain, um, from stuff that we imported. But like I said, uh, well, we also deal with... Um, country ham producer in North Carolina right now. Oh, yeah, you uh, who's, Yeah, who's doing animal welfare approved country hams that are dry cured, similar to an Iberico ham or, or a prosciutto ham, but mm-hmm. super funky on the flavor. You can tell that it's something different. Um, it's, it's extremely 
uh, unique and the production is so limited that we get maybe 30 hams every three weeks and they're all pre-sold or they're out the door the next day. <laughs> so that's fun for us to have something that, you know. Moves. <laughs> yeah, moves and it's like, you know, we're only ever going to be able to do 60 hams a week with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can kind of pick and choose and make sure, you know, we're not forced to, to market to Target or Starbucks or anything like that. We can keep it in in the hands that we kind of have the same ethos with. Now, did did you find the farmer in southern, is it Georgia? Or Georgia. Who, who imported some Iber- Iberico pigs? And he's... Uh, I, I have not had contact with him. I know our friend Herb from La Quercia is curing some of his hands out yeah, right that's now. That's right. Yes, I, he is. Yes, indeed he is. Yep. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that they just opened him up last week, and they looked amazing. But uh, unfortunately, I haven't, um, yeah, well, I haven't got to try it. We've tried it. It's really good. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's a, the, it's very cool that they're doing that um, domestically. But, you know, when you go to Spain... Um, and you go on the Dehesa, either in Salamanca or in Huelva, um, you will see, like, these little home oak acorn trees. Um, There's just fields of them. Uh So the the interesting part about that is that those acorns are filled with oleic acid. It's almost uh, like olive oil. So And they drop naturally onto the ground. So... It is a little bit of a differentiation. It's not like eating the American oak acorns um, that we have here in the States, even though they might be feeding them acorns. Uh, it's a little bit different terroir, and that's why. Yeah, well, they uh, don't they even them. feed them acorns. What they feed them is um, peanuts. peanuts finished with okay. finished with what, rabbit? Um, pecans, I think. Pecans. Finished. Great. They're yeah. indigenous to the area. That's awesome. So I mean that's a, a different it's a different product but it's still excellent. Yep. Yeah, you, yep. you, you, no, you, you you should get you should get in touch with him again because he he can do you volume. I mean, yeah. he's, I mean he's he's got a he's got a big property. He's a big property uh, in the I, middle of nowhere, I, I, absolutely in the middle of nowhere. I, I, mean. I, I think Herb has that one locked up and I can leave it to them. Okay. <laughs> well they're they're going to be if I understand it, they're going to be um Eventually processing their own, um, yep. Iberico. So, so, uh, maybe, the, you know, your friend won't, the guy won't be doing it all the time. We've interviewed them too. <laughs> they have a good product too, the Yeah, for sure. They're awesome people. Well, after, we've, we've been doing this for 15 years and I think that, I'm at the point where I'm beginning to think that we should actually just focus on a handful of products that we swear by. Yep. You know, and, and they stand out. I mean, you know, I just read an article on, um, um, snails, the little ones. What are they called? The little grays. What? I can't the remember. The, the, uh, yeah, but they're, um, it's Picartan. Peconic. Peconic, yeah. Yeah, they're in Long Island making, doing Yeah, uh, but then there's also, um, there's a snail man. the snail man who has these giant, he's funny, he's so funny, giant Burgundian snails. Yeah. And, yeah, and uh, we interviewed him, and for a while there we were putting snails on everything. I don't know, he sent us a lifetime <laughs> supply of snails. Uh, but <laughs> Peter asked him how they found the snails. 
<laughs> he, uh-huh. said, he said, well, from the year before, we go looking there. He said, they don't move very fast. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's not too hard, right? <laughs> well, to be honest, you guys provide a great service because, um, you know, especially food from over the last eight or ten years has become such a large industry and so prevalent now that it's actually becomes difficult to, you know, decipher the real product versus the really nicely marketed product. And so many big players are now in the game that it's, you know, we're almost a victim of our own successes where to, to really understand what, what's more than a pretty bottle or nice packaging yeah. um, and real product, you guys are, are doing a very good service for your listeners. Well, I mean, this is why we request samples because we've been burned. I mean, it took us a while to learn how to maneuver all of this stuff. And uh, sure. the people talk a big, great game, and they have really sharp packaging, but the product yep. isn't there. It's not yep. comparable to these other products. But and imagine the consumer who's interested in food looking on a on a grocery store shelf, you know, trying to decide what to buy and and what's good. So, um, you guys are doing a great job. Well, thank you. Well, you're doing a great job too. Well, carrying all thank this you. stuff. Yeah, thank, thank you very much for your contribution to the program and. We welcome you again when you got some more new stuff. Come and tell we'll us about. Keep, come and keep tell us about it. And we'll do. Thank you, Ann and Peter. David, yeah, and and hello to Carrie, huh? We'll do. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. So we hope you enjoyed this week's program, and, and should join us again. And, say, oh, yeah. Oh, I want oh, 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 just hold on, if David's hold on. listening, I sent us more of those bocaronis. <laughs> best, best. Anchovies, macaronis, Cantabrian uh, fish around. Okay, <laughs> you done. <laughs> you done. done you done now. Okay. I'm done. No, no, not begging for the day. Well, but, <laughs> but, 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 but it'll be the same again next week. So until then, bye bye. <laughs>